Perspectives on where we're giving the world a voice. I'm Lara Lane White, your host. So, with the global over nine billion by the year 2050, there is a continuous need to increase speed, quality of activity, production, its availability, in order to meet the growing demand for proper nutrition and amending the increase in food prices. In fact, according to the Food and Drug and Agricultural Nation and the World Expert United Nations, it has been suggested that food production will need to increase by 70 percent or to meet the average daily requirement of the world's population just by 2020. These facts, from, from a global perspective, actually parallel uh, the reality on a local level. According to the USDA, over 8 million American citizens were uncertain, having or unable to acquire enough food to meet their nutritional needs, either because they had insufficient money or other resources just to have something to eat. And 13% of households with children were food insecure in the year 2019, and it's projected that that, that number is even more now we can look around our local community and notice that there's been a significant shift toward more americans growing their own food uh, at their homes and in community gardens the mission of perspectives on is to provide awareness on ways everyone can improve their quality of life through activism whether it be through our faith political advocacy the climate crisis, and most of all, part that we're going to talk about tonight, food security. So tonight's statement aims to address the average person and their quest to grow their own food. Now, you may be wondering how to grow vegetables. With maybe you have no space, but with full sun exposure, and believe it or not, many vegetables will tolerate harsher shade and a few could even be considered shame because they won't tolerate full sun exposure. So there's a wide variety of things you can actually grow. Maybe you live in an apartment with uh, not much more than a bathroom, but you love fresh vegetables and would still like to grow food on your own. There's no problem. So here are some top tips. Tonight we're going to be blessed with some experts that have been going through for a while and they are going to share uh, what they know uh, with you in terms of growing your own food. First we have Mr. Calvin Foster. Mr. Foster, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us how to use a little bit more about yourself. I think you have yourself muted. Hey, good afternoon. Sorry about that. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited about being here this afternoon. And uh, so I'm a, I'm an Atlanta-based organic gardener, uh, retired Marine, and just here to help share my knowledge on making things grow from doing it for a lifetime. Awesome. 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 Uh, let's see. Uh, Miss Catherine, can you tell, introduce yourself and tell us about who you are? Hi everybody, my name is Katherine Juhan Arnold. I've been growing food since 2013, 2014. Um, I run Baby Katie's and Kitchen, a local nonprofit in Snellville. I'm just out here trying to make a difference, feed people. <laughs> and making a difference you are. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, tell us about who you are. Uh, my name is Tony Jones. Uh, this is my wife, Belinda. Uh, I'm retired Army. Uh, I don't know about being an expert, uh, but we're trying to uh, grow a little uh, vegetables here uh, on Morning Glory Homestead Farm on beautiful St. Helena Island, South Carolina. So uh, 
we're here to, to try to uh, give to you what we've learned over the years. We've been farming since 2016. Well, you know a lot more than uh, myself and a lot of, of, of my viewers. So we're glad to have each and every one of you here tonight to share your expertise. Let us let us just start, start out by talking about, um, I mean, we just want to jump right in and understand, uh, you know, can you, can, can each of you name a technique? Let's just start there. Name a technique that, um, that somebody could use if they just wanted to start out growing their own food. Anybody? Throw some seeds in the dirt, just scatter them and see what they do. And see what they do, huh? <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't be afraid to make any mistakes. And uh, as you know, one of the, the helpful uh, hints on this is that uh, each one of the uh, counties have a county extension. I think if you're in Georgia, it should be out of University of Georgia. Uh, they have an extension agent there uh, with master gardeners um, on staff. And those folks are more than willing to, to give you any advice, even to, to take some soil in and let them test your soil to tell you what you can grow and what you probably need to uh, add some amendments to your soil to grow um, other things. Oh, you know, that's one thing um, that, that I wanted to ask you about. Um, you mentioned uh, in one of our, in our last show on farming about getting a soil test. Now, a lot of people don't really understand what is a soil test and how can, I mean, what, what is the benefit of a soil test? Uh, a soil test will, will help, definitely help you from being too frustrated and pulling your hair out like I've got mine, most of mine's out here. <laughs> um, but a, a soil test will um, tell you whether it will give you all the chemical makeup of your soil and it will tell you what your soil is lacking um so it's a very good tool that you need to do before you think about uh throwing the seeds into the soil um and hoping that they will come up so is the soil test something that we can um is that something that we can get from uh, the county extension office where they do a soil test for us yeah yes they charge a small amount for, and they give guidelines about what to do, how to uh, gather your soil uh, from various places where you're going to have your garden um, and the procedure for gathering it. And it's very simple. They just want a sampling of soil on your property or wherever you're going to grow so that they can test it and give you the, the makeup. So you'll know what additives you're going to need amendments you know whether you're organic or not we're we're using organic practices so whatever they suggest for us we're going to look for the uh, organic means of supplying you know if we have a lack of potassium or a lack of they'll, yeah they'll show you what what you need what the percentage is and and you can determine how much more you want to you know increase things um of course, if you know what your plant likes, then um, it'll show you, oh, well, if I'm going to grow tomatoes and I need a more uh, acidic soil, then I need to build up this because I don't have that. It's lacking. So that's what it'll do. And, it, and it'll give you a jump start on what, you, what your um, soil is like. And, and there are kits that you can get from a store to do it. But if you have never done it, and you've never, um, uh, you're not familiar with it, it's best to pay the small costs uh, at your extension office and let them tell you what, um, what it, what's going, what's, what you need for your soil. Okay, okay. I wondered about the, uh, if you could do it yourself. I know some people do mm -hmm. that testing, um, but I'm not sure how, you know, how the store kit work. Yeah, and, and the thing of it, do-it-yourself kits, you know, some of them are hit and miss. Um, and I, I I personally would rather just use the uh, extension services because these folks are, are still doing research. They, they are telling you the latest 
breaking stuff that's out there. Um, um, so uh, stop in and get familiar with those and introduce yourself to those people. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of diseases come from you not knowing what's in your soil. So to, when you do that soil test and you are like, okay, well, I have this picture of this disease and you go to your extension service and show it to them, they'll tell you exactly what disease it is and what you can do or what you can add to your soil to either make that plant healthy or make sure another plant isn't affected by the same disease. So the extension service is a great resource when it comes to growing your own food. And you don't have to be a big farmer or you don't even have to call yourself a farmer. They're there for people who want to grow stuff. And, and, and also stay away. You may have some folks, you may have a little, little bit of land and somebody says, Hey, I got some soil over here. You can take that. Uh, no, uh, you need to test it because their soil may have some nematodes or something in it. Mm -hmm. And as they would say in our area, if you had a worse situation than you may have started out with. A worse situation. A worse. A worse. So, okay, so... And, and I, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Ms. Catherine, about you don't have to be a big farmer because people are aware. Um, I, I remember before I even started doing this show, I used to um, ride, I used to um, work down in Athens, and I would see that extension, that UGA extension for the state of Georgia. And I always started with this for you know major farmers. Even if you just want to do a backyard garden or you're doing something on your porch or your balcony, um, not your balcony, but anywhere you're, you're working directly with the soil, whether no matter how big it is or how small, it's always beneficial to check with the county extension office. Am I telling everybody right? Right. Yeah. And even, even if you got house plants that you, you're seeing some weird things happen to, Take them a, a take a picture of it, or even take a, a sample of it down there, and and let them uh, do the research, and they'll be able to tell you one how you can uh, get rid of the situation, or whether you may have to start all over again. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, see, okay. So even because I know that you know you go to places like Home Depot and Lowe's, and they they sell um, they'll they'll sell a soil that people use, and they'll take that and mix it in with whatever they have in their backyard. Uh, what's your position on that? How do y'all feel about that? So most of that stuff, um, uh, you know, I think that, I think they have a goal, which is selling things and, and producing a profit for for their their investors. Uh, I, I, I see that there is easier way that you have uh, pretty much everything you need right there where you are. And I know, um, you know, so here in Georgia, all those services are, are free. I mean, they send you everything from the envelopes to take the sample. They show you how to sterilize the equipment to gather the sample and, uh, you know, where to send it to. So um, that's all free. So I'm really slow to go in Lowe's and Home Depot's and Home Depot and come out with you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of soil and stuff like that. Um, it's relatively safe, but there's there's natural methods to get things done. And the way I see it, if you're if you're in the business to maybe grow some food, then almost negate the benefit by how much money you can go in Lowe's and Home Depot, how much money you can go in there and spend. So. Uh, uh, I'm really, that's usually my last option. I will go in there and buy stuff like uh, peat moss to add to the soil when I'm going to grow sweet potatoes because I work, I work I'm work. i in the mountains up here in Atlanta, so uh, we have to add, we have to soften the dirt a lot. So I will go in there and get stuff like peat moss and things like that, but I'm really slow to to go and buy dirt. We're surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, I understand, I understand. So... Uh, a lot of places have, um, and, and, and I didn't even think to, to ask you about this beforehand, but, you know, a lot of places do those raised bed gardens. Mm -hmm. and so um, it's 
they they don't they used to go <laughs> they used to go and buy a significant amount of soil to put in their raised bed garden. So for those persons who want to do raised bed gardens, what's your recommendation if they want to stay organic? Uh, I think it's kind of what we sort of been talking about um, to have it tested and, and, I, and to have it tested and to uh, that that service. I know what Georgia is free. Um, okay, now, yeah. I, I guess what I'm referring to is okay. So if you're gonna put, if you're gonna backyard garden, raised bed garden. I mean that that gonna call. We wanna just use our own dirt and not go to homes to load. Uh, that's going to call for, for us to dig up our own soil in this yard to fill that raised bed, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it doesn't always have to be soil. You can have some leaves, you can get some cardboard. I mean, the food that's going bad in your kitchen, throw that in there. There's enough food waste in our landfills, and we have to do something to remedy that. And the best thing you can do for your soil is to give it some green. And the green that's rotting in your kitchen is the best yeah, thing you can do. In fact, going back to what Catherine was saying, um, if you're going to do a raised bed, one of the first things I would recommend after you have it built is to put down cardboard. Why do you put down cardboard? Cardboard, one, is a good weed blocker. Number two, cardboard is biodegradable. And cardboard will also help attract earthworms. Why earthworms? Earthworms will definitely help nourish your uh, soil. And when they poop, which is the worm casting, uh -huh. it will uh, provide uh, additives into your soil. So you may, if you go that process, one, don't expect to have, um, you know, grade A uh, um, fruits and vegetables, maybe for a two or three plant season, because that soil has to build up. And the more you put your your, um, your your green matter in there, like your leaves and your 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 home scraps and stuff, you're building, you're adding nutrients. Because guess what? The same product that uh, nutrition that was in the plants that you loved is going to be in the, the fibers uh, of that plant when it starts breaking down. And whatever was good for that plant is going to add to other plants as they come up. Okay, so so we have to be prepared to. So basically, you're creating your own soil from 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 organic matter. Like there's that, a method that's called uh, the spaghetti garden, which Catherine alluded to. Um, some of us okay. little vine gardening and. Um, so it's building layer upon layer of um, debris from your from your kitchen, from your yard, from um, so you just putting one layer on top of another, and it's building compost. You're planting into natural um, uh, resources, and you don't have to necessarily buy a lot um, and or go get lots of, and lots of soil um, to do that. So it's it's uh, using what you have, you know, like she was saying already, you know, take those vegetable scraps and let them compost and um, break down um, those things. Well, like, like we'll take the, the, when we clean out our chicken coops and all of that, hay and straw mixed in with the chicken um, uh, feces. Uh, those things we eventually break down and become composted and will become good food for whatever we eventually plant in a raised bed. And we have some here on our, on our property that we use primarily for our kitchen garden, not so much for the farm business. Um, it's just for us. And, and this is the fall of the year. Of course, leaves are now falling from the trees. If you would take something and shred those leaves up uh, in a either in a pile or if you put it in that box, they one they will start breaking down a whole lot faster, and two, you'll begin to to build up that nutrient um, soil that you want to have to grow your plants. 
Mm -hmm. A lot of this may seem disgusting at first, but you have to think about where your food comes from. Mm -hmm. So when you're out in nature, back in the old days, before people started growing stuff for production, your food had to decompose itself to grow back up. Right. Yeah. So while it might it might be really it is really disgusting, and there are a lot of bugs, yeah. but it's the natural process of things. So mm -hmm. it's, it's okay then if we use like we talk about the food scraps, the greens that we may have gotten that we may have discarded that we've gotten from the grocery store, which is not organic, and it's okay to use that to make eventually make organic. I don't know. It's still a thousand percent okay because everything is going to decompose. It's going to die back. It's going to get too hot to keep any type of thing that can harm you in there. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, and, so, this, and this is what the raised head garden. Any garden. Any garden. Any garden. Mm -hmm. okay. And save your coffee grinds and your tea bags and your eggshells and. All of those things and put them in there and mix them up. Yeah, stop by your local coffee shop because they got to get rid of that coffee, those coffee grinds that they made your uh, lattes and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That coffee grinds uh, is good organic matter to, uh, to help your plants. There is a company that's that has it already bagged and you can just pick it up. If, I don't know if we should say yeah, it. Can but, we should say the company? <laughs> but there is a, a coffee company that has... Uh, and they call it grinds for the garden and you can go by and just pick it up take the bag you don't even have to purchase anything from them just go in and get the bag and take it out and use it for the garden and so that's a kind of fertilizer though right mm -hmm. it's an insecticide too coffee is a natural insecticide oh okay mm -hmm. you, you want us to give you the company yes <laughs> Starbucks. Starbucks has mm -hmm. it. They have it available usually in the front of the store. You can just walk in and pick it up and take it right back out. But but also any any coffee, any shop, coffee shop any coffee shop around, uh, go in and introduce yourself to the folks. Ask them. You know, you may have to take a bucket um, that they can uh, put it in. But that's going to help you. So I'm. I mean, go down to Lowe's, get a $3 bucket with a top. And uh, so when they get through with the coffee, they can put it in there and you will go by and pick up your coffee your grants. Coffee grants. Mm -hmm. All right. That's good to know. That's good to know. And that I didn't even ask you, you guys about that ahead of time. I know in, in my backyard, um, we are going to start a raised day garden. And it just occurred to me that I don't want to go, you know, like Mr. Foster, I don't want to go to... Home Depot and Lowe's and buy two hundred dollars worth of soil. I want it to be organic, and I want to be. But at the same time, I'm too old to dig up all that, all the dirt and fill up that raised bed garden. You know, because I want it to be kind of hot. But then again, yeah. I'm looking to what you guys are saying about creating your own soil, and that may take. Would you say two or three different growing cycles, Mister Jones? Is that what right. Mm hmm. But I mean, the thing of it, go ahead, Kevin, you started to say something. You, Well, it, uh, the thing of it is, like for me here, I have a lot of uh, pine trees and I have a lot of oak trees and things like that. So the only thing I really did for my uh, beds that were above ground, I simply moved that top layer of really fresh leaves away and sticks. And I could go almost a half a foot down, and there were just layers and layers and mounds of comp naturally composting leaves and straw. And uh, you could just tell a wood bark that was just breaking down in, in, in layers. And that was almost perfect for me to grow in. So uh, there is, if you, if, you have, if you have any kind of yard, most trees are going to have this layer of top compost that is just um that is just waiting to be taken up so it's not it really didn't take me a whole bunch of work to to fill up my raised beds and so um what you want to really try to avoid i think we were getting on sort of lead into i thought somebody's gonna say it was uh what i call virgin dirt and that is you know finding a spot that i'm gonna plant a garden in the ground and generally those spots are gonna have a, a pretty low yield 
because that dirt has basically been uh, what we consider hard paying for, for could be 30, 40, 50 years. Because you got to think about it. When we go, when we garden here in, in America, we're only dealing with the first, what, six to eight inches of dirt. And so under that, you really, you under most dirt here, you have what's called a hard pan. And so unless that soil has been conditioned, like he keeps saying, the second and third generation, you're going to have what's called virgin dirt. You're going to get a pretty low yield from it because uh, those those uh, those uh, nutrients that Catherine is talking about, they're not built up naturally in that spot. Those those uh, potash and, uh, you know, calcium levels and, uh, you know, um, different levels of, uh, you know, the nutrients that you need, they're just not there. They've either leached down and never been there. So you have to really think about what you're growing in and, and uh, what you're going to get out of it. So so when you mentioned about um, emerging dirt, I want to about tillage, because I've heard so many different things about the benefit of it versus uh, you have to. Well, I, I well, no. Well, I, well, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna no, say, I'm don't. gonna say this. There are a lot of no-till situations. I get that. I understand that some things don't need tilling. However, like for me, with when I'm growing sweet potatoes, I choose to grow them. Most people, a lot of people, grow sweet potatoes in raised beds and containers. I choose to grow them in the dirt, and so for me, I have to till. Because if you, you don't till, at least where I'm at, you try to grow a sweet potato in it, I'm sitting pretty much on Stone Mountain. There ain't no sweet potato going to grow in that. Well, we're kind of in the same area, and sweet potatoes will grow in that. You just have to plan and prepare. Again, so, okay, like, so light me what you put that cardboard down, and you just you got to make a plan. It might not be this season where you can get some sweet potatoes in that spot, but next season you have gold that God gave you to put those sweet potatoes in. Okay, so you're not you're not putting them in the dirt at all? What I mean are you no, no, you're gonna put them in the dirt. But well, that's you, all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You're gonna yeah. put them in the dirt, but you don't have to till to get that effect. So at the farm we have one side on the left of the greenhouse where we actually till. And then on the right side there's no tilling. And we well, you you're, you're missing what I'm saying. I'm saying you can get the nutrients in there by I understand that because I have a compost pile. I just bring in my compost pile and everything is already in there. But to get the plant in the ground, then I'm going to condition it to make the, just for the root system alone, not to add the nutrients. So one one aspect is the root system that needs to borrow down to make a potato. And the second aspect is to get the nutrients there that the potato is going to need to grow. So we're talking sort of two different aspects there, I think. Well. Okay, now so for, for my viewers that are new, like myself, can somebody explain what's tilling? Okay, what is it? What is the benefit? Uh, and, and then we get back into the, the concept. Somebody explain. Go ahead, Mr. Passion Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think we I think we talk about two different processes. Though you're talking about how to get the nutrients into the soil, I agree with you 100 percent there. I agree hundred percent. You can kill the weed cardboard. Well, that, so killing, killing has to do with so here in here in most of the United States, we've only dealt with most soil in the United States, the only the first six eight six or eight inches of the soil have ever been penetrated with a metallic device or any type of farming equipment. So under that you have what's called a hard pan. Once you get about 12 inches into the soil, it becomes like a crust. And so tilling actually allows you to break that dirt up and it allows the root system to penetrate the soil better. Okay. That's my understanding. Yeah. Huh? Go ahead. I'm sorry. What's the tilling technique, Mr. Jones? Uh, there are several tilling. You know, Calvin mentioned mechanical. Uh, we had a gentleman uh, down the road that had a little garden and he tilled with a shovel and a hole and a hole uh and now that that's 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 old school okay uh, uh, when we first got here i had a five horsepower tiller and that thing worked me to death uh now we've got a a, a tractor with a, a tiller on it but we're doing a um a project with nafri uh raffi which deals with color uh, 
Farmers of Color Network, where we're transitioning to no-till. Uh, our soil um, that we have here is not like what Calvin has up there in Georgia. I mean, we can go down, you know, a foot, but the, the problem of what the soil we have is loamy, uh, loamy sand. Which, loam, yeah. Which means yeah. that, you know, it doesn't hold that much water. Uh, for some plants, that's good, but for a lot of plants, it's not uh, because you have to put a lot of water in there. Um, the no-till uh, operation um, that we're doing with uh, Rafi, we put down a top which kills the um, uh, vegetation, weeds, and grass, and we lay that down for about four to five weeks. Uh, what happens is the sun builds up a lot of um, heat and it kills whatever uh, plants and seeds that's basically on that top layer. And the, the, the cons of tilling is when you till that soil, you also bring up dormant seeds mm. uh, that's, that's there. But if you do the no-till, um, you, we do a process where not only we put the top down, but when we pull the top up, we lay down a, a layer of cardboard, which is the weed blocker. And then on top of the cardboard, we put um, compost. Now, what does that what does that do for you? It saves, especially folks up in our age, it, it saves a lot of weeding. Um, because the, the, the compost, I mean, that, that cardboard, blocks a lot of the weed seeds that were, were on the ground and then you you begin to build up a nourishing power packed soil so the next year we continue to add compost onto that soil and your your plants grow uh, it, uh, a whole lot better and that cardboard after a few weeks or so it begins to stop breaking down and when it breaks down, it becomes compost, and it also attracts worms. And worms bring worm poop, which is casting, which is extra fertilizer for your soil. Okay, so the process of tilling, which which I wanted my viewers especially, because you guys, you know, y'all know the terminology, but a lot of people don't understand. And it took me a minute also. It's the agriculture. This is the this is the Wikipedia uh, version. The agricultural preparation of soil by mechanical agitation of various types, such as digging, stirring, and overturning. And so mm -hmm. I like to think of it as the, the, you're preparing the land for uh, for planting and growing. And that's the process that you do when you see the digging and the stirring and the overturning. And so mm -hmm. uh, that's you know that's that's just what. We do. Typically, what uh, traditionally is what people have been doing to prepare the soil. Mm -hmm. so in, in, in contemporary times, um, there's a trend toward not doing that, not doing that type of digging and stirring and overturning of the land. And so, uh, I guess my, my question is: if you don't, if you don't do that mix to prepare the land for the maximum growth. Uh, how I mean, how would you prepare the land? I mean, you plant with a purpose, is what I call it. So, to Calvin's point, there is a crust below that. Sometimes it's even six inches, especially when you're dealing with the red clay that we have in Georgia. But you have to, if you get into this, you start to wonder why. Why is the soil like that in the first place? If we were planting months and months and months, years and years and years, century and millennia ago, why is the soil like this? Why isn't it better? Why doesn't it have the tilt that we need? Where's the oxygen? Why is this soil dead? And a lot of that reason is because of how much we've turned over the soil and how much we've tilled it. We've killed all of the nutrients and our soil is as dead as the soil that they sell at Home Depot. And that's not what you want. That's not what a healthy plant needs. Uh, so what you do, is you plant with the purpose. So you find plants that have deep tap roots so that they can bring those nutrients up to the surface. You rotate your plants, you cover crop. There's so many things that you can do to bring those nutrients up and build your soil up in a way where you don't have to harm the land that we use, we need it. 
And, okay. and, and when you plant like that, uh, especially with no tilling, uh, it, if, when you when you go through the process, you you leave a lot of nutrients in the soil. Uh, you don't agitate them that much. You also allow again the good beneficial, like the earthworms, to be able to come there and help break the earthworms and the microbes to help break that soil up, which makes it over time a softer um, uh, platform to plant in. So, um, and, and really, this is not something that just came around uh, recently. It's been used for years, but it's just becoming even more popular now. Yeah, I believe it was the French that actually did it back in the 1800s originally. Uh, the no-till method is their thing. And as you may or may not know, they have the best agricultural practices yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. In the world. So this is something that they've been doing, and their organic matter in their soil is unparalleled. So, I mean, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. You want to make sure that we're serving not only the planet, but ourselves the best we can do. And the only way to get that healthy vegetable, to get those macro and micronutrients uh, to our brain is to make sure we're feeding our soil, which feeds our plants. Right. Because every time we till, we disturb all of those good nutrients that are in the soil and it takes so much time for them to recover. So that by the time we, by the time they begin recovery, somebody's tilling again. So it, it, it's an unending cycle of disturbing. The, it's like scratching a scab, you know, continuing to scratch it before it really gets time to heal. And um, the, so the earth doesn't really recover from it. And so our, our yield and the, and the uh, size of our plants and the nutrients that are in our plants is, is sometimes poor um, because of that, because we've disturbed uh, the soil so much, taken away the beneficial nutrients and the microbes um, that are there. They're struggling to survive, but we keep tilling it and it keeps killing it. And, and, right. then, and then we begin to start adding more work to ourselves because when we till... The dormant seeds come up. The weeds, seeds, the, weed the grasses. Seeds, the grasses and stuff. So you, you, you've got another battle there. Um, you're spending more time in the field um, instead of uh, watching your, your plants grow and giving them what they need. Then you've got to worry about getting rid of these pests, these weed pests that if you don't, they will end up killing um, or choking out the root system for your, your beneficial plants. And uh, if you don't do that, then you, 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 all your work would have gone in vain. So that's that's. I'm glad you all are bringing this up about this. Well, I'm glad we have this question about question about tilling versus no tilling. Um, so even if um, you have a small garden, or um, like how we're getting ready to do raise a garden, um, we need to we need to make sure that we're planning. What we're what we're going to plant. So like now, how I said I wanted to do spinach. What you're saying is that you know I may need to to I guess rotate what I'm planting in the bed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one thing I do um, is like you know, and, and it's straight to what Catherine was saying. I I, I mix. I I, I don't, I'm you know I'm gonna look more into that because she's got me excited about it. So I'm willing to learn on this show just as well as anybody else. My thing is, though, I'm what's called an Eden gardener. I'm an Eden gardener. So in many cases, to fight the weeds with the carbon he's talking about, I use wood chips. My whole garden is covered in wood chips. And so I do till, but I also, when I till, I'm bringing in, um, I have in my backyard right now, compost powder that's probably about 3,000 pounds. I grow that every year. Those are sweet potato scraps. Those are sweet potato vines. Those are um, old, um, you know, cantaloupes that didn't get eating cantaloupe rounds. I do all of that and compost it and turn it all year long. So every year I plant, I bring in about 3,000 pounds of compost to lay the initial layer. And so I really am sort of growing in my own dirt, but I, I really like to lay the cardboard first method. But 
Uh, Eden Garden is pretty much the same thing where I'm planting the garden on top of wood chips and then to protect my plants from uh, the weeds and things, we, we cover them or surround them with wood chips and those wood chips will break, eventually break down and become a soil layer also. But the other thing I like to do is what's called crop rotation. So in one place where I'm planting, um, just say, uh, I planted in the left of my garden, I planted okra and uh, field peas this year, pink eye purple hole peas. I know that those pink eye purple hole peas, they fix a ton of nitrogen into the, into the soil. So the next crop I plant in that spot will be a nitrogen uh, starved plant, which may be corn or something of that nature, which really needs a lot of nitrogen, nitrogen which the peas have already fixed in the dirt. So uh, understanding how plants use the soil and which plants do which things to the soil is also very beneficial. Right. And um, we also provide a copy, again, going back, what, what's, what things you can do. If go back to your, your extension office and they produce a book um, that we have, um, it's called the Southeastern Vegetable Extension Workers uh, Handbook. And in that, it will tell you what all kind of uh, plants that's, uh, that you should plant in your particular area, what, to, what additives, what things that you may need to add to the saw based on a saw test that you, you, if you would get from them. Uh, it will tell you when to plant them, when you should expect to harvest those plants. Um, it's a real helpful book to, to get. So do your, your research, your due diligence to, to go ahead and do that research and go, go make that visit because it will pay you big dividends down the road. Mm -hmm. Now, um, but one thing, and we, we're just about, um, you know, we're just about toward the end of our sharing, but I wanted to make sure that um, that we that we covered, um, you know, some things that will be beneficial for those that, well, all of it has been beneficial. But I want to make sure we kind of cover uh, a lot of some other some other points. Um, do you have any? Uh, well, okay, here it is. With with winter quickly approaching, what are some staple plants, foods, spices, etc., that people should begin? Um, to, to plant, and, and if they have been planted, what, what should they be looking at harvesting? Are there any hardy vegetables or plants that still would do uh, better than others in the fall and winter? Well, if you're sort of behind the curve right now on planting some of the stuff, <laughs> um, if you're talking about your barascas, you're talking about three weeks ago. Yeah, you, you're talking about collards, cabbage, kale, um, broccoli, rutabagas, turnips. You can even plant turnips, uh, purple top or regular white top turnips, even in the December. But uh, the primary brassicas, you know, like you, uh, like I mentioned before, collards, cabbage, kale, um, uh, rutabagas. Um, you you sh you should have planted those several weeks back. Uh, you although you. It, who knows? I mean, how did the, the weather's been been going lately? You may be able to get by and and um, you know and and get some in the ground right quick. I know Lowe's and Home Depot they're selling them because you know they don't worry about whether you're not you're gonna be able to produce. I mean, right? They, they just they wanna wanna, get yeah, they want to get it out. Right. Right. Um, and <laughs> and then something else that you can plant is uh, sugar peas. Mm-hmm. But you know the the weather's been kind of warm. You know, I know here in Georgia we're seeing we're still seeing eighty degree weather and better, and, and we're here in October. So, but that's not always the case though, because these plants. What I found is, like some guys are like, okay, I'm gonna plant year round because the days are warmer. But I think the plants the plants react to that. They know when the growing season is up. When they they work off of the photosynthesis. And they can tell when the light has uh, diminished in a day. And so what they will usually do if you plant them that late, they will do what's called bolting. They'll plant, they'll sprout, they'll shoot flowers straight up, and they'll go, they'll go straight to seed. Yeah, they'll go straight to seed. So most of those plants will do what's called uh, bolting. So 
Um, you have to make sure because plants are very intelligent. And so um Okay, so so okay, so we're going to uh fall what should we if we don't plant, you know, to condition. What should we be doing with our it is a time to do cover crop, but I wouldn't put planting behind you just yet. Uh, there are some staples that you can get in the ground that will still produce for you. Um, you want to look at carrots. They take forever to grow. Um, yeah. Garlic yeah. is a good one. It stores well. And I mean, right now with everybody being sick and flu season coming around, you want to have some garlic because it's just going to come back around next year. It'll be flu season next year. Um, and like I said, it stores well. There is um, onion. Swiss chard. You can do your kale. You can do onions, um, kohlrabi. You have some root vegetables that just take forever to grow. Just go ahead and put it in the ground and see what it does. See if it'll grow in your soil. Um, like Mr. Jones said earlier, you cannot be scared to experiment and fail. That's the only way you're going to learn. So lettuce is lettuce with various varieties of lettuce. This is the ideal time to um, to plant lettuce, but you got to be also mindful. Check the weather. So if the weather um, is you expecting a frost, you want to probably get you an old sheet and cover them up at night and pull that sheet off the next day. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now I'm glad you mentioned that about uh, about a sheet because the other thing that uh, someone may be wondering about is what what kind of uh, Okay, I'm getting ready to start my garden, but what kind of tools do I need? Because I bought the stage. Stage. I need So, what do I need just to start out? You're a campus, you don't need anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's willpower. <laughs> it, it, also, right. it also depends on how large that you, you plan on going. Uh, if you plan on doing a container garden, you may just need just a, a little spade, hand spade, a spoon, and a, or a spoon. <laughs> um, but uh, the basic things that you would need is a shovel, a hoe, a good rake, and uh, a good bat. A good bat. You're going to need that. So for me, I'm getting ready to do a, uh, my church is giving up four acres. And, um, uh, I now have the uh, the leeway to um, to uh, to basically start a community garden. All of that. So for me right now, I'm doing. I don't want. I don't want to do it right now. I'm burned out from this summer. So I am doing soil conditioning. I'm doing what Catherine said. I'm adding nutrients to that soil without tilling. I'm adding lime because lime is a slow acting nutrient and it needs time to leach into the dirt. Mm -hmm. and to really affect the soil sometimes as much as six months so i'm adding lime to that soil to get it ready to return for uh the spring of next year so i'm not growing anything but i am doing soil conditioning i'm adding nutrients to the place that i'm going to work next year you know if you put some cardboard down and some mushroom compost you won't need <laughs> and, 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 and don't and don't forget about your grass clippings. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, you you, you put those. Not in, that many anymore. Well, I know it's not many grass clippings right now, but I mean, again, I can't emphasize it enough. Instead of taking your your uh, your leaves from your oak trees and stuff that you are throwing, you putting in these bags and taking them to the um, uh, the the convenience center. Put them in a pile and let them begin. And, and if you have a shredder or even a lawnmower, run the lawnmower over and break them up. And then, uh, because that break causes it to break down even faster. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I, this is some good stuff. I've been trying to write stuff down while you're talking and uh, make sure I stay on top of things for, for my own, for myself and my own uh, knowledge base. And finally, uh, I want to say a word, uh, you guys, to offer some some direction on the different types of pesticides, because these days we're trying to stay um, we're trying to stay chemical free. We all want to be organic, and so um, what's your position on on what can we do, you know, to um, fertilize pesticides? 
whatever we need to do in that in that realm. Anyway. I, I I can start off with an El Chipo. Okay. Take about um, uh, two tablespoons of cayenne pepper and about a couple drops of liquid detergent, either Dawn or Irish Snow. Uh, shake it up. If you got a sprayer, uh, like little sprayer um, container, and spray that on your 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 plants. It will help um, to ward off insects. Okay. Vinegar and water is a good one. Yep. What was that? Vinegar and water. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anybody? I use that for, uh, for. So a lot of people are having problems with deer. So I have a backyard that's full of deer, and I'm always fighting the deer. My dogs are chasing them. I'm fighting them. I'm trying to kill them with a bow and arrow. Everything I do to keep, keep the deer out of my garden. So uh, one thing I use is uh, cayenne pepper, uh, raw eggs, and uh, garlic. And you just basically let that sit in a container and ferment for about a week or so. You spread it over your garden, and the deer bite into that and take off running so if you don't want your plants eaten up by deer you don't want to use those pesticides and things like that then uh, that's a simple trick garlic cayenne pepper eggs stuff like that to, to keep the deer out of your garden and so what do you did you say did you say put it in a container or what did you say you could you could actually exactly for that because it's got eggs in it and the uh cayenne the eggs sometimes it'll sort of want to gum up a little bit but I take like a little paintbrush and just scatter it, just scatter it over the garden just a little bit. And if all they got to do is get one or two tastes of it, and they 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 know that they, there's a possibility of them biting into it somewhere else, and they leave it all alone. So I kept uh, the deer and the rabbits out of my garden all year, and the squirrels and rodents, just with that cayenne pepper, garlic, and eggs. Okay. All right, all right. Anybody else? And if you have rotten eggs, use those. Yeah, yeah, I do let them ferment for about a week or so. It gets pretty, pretty funky, but it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love I think uh, the best pest control you can do is a walkthrough. If you're not paying attention to your garden, even when you are paying attention to your garden, these bugs can tear stuff up. Um, my home garden, my cabbages were decimated last week. I was in tears. Uh, I don't even know what type of bug it was, but they just had a party in there. And I have one cabbage head left. Oh, probably, army worms, probably army worms. Probably army worms. They got up my sweet potatoes. They were terrible. So you you got to pay attention because you can spray everything and you can do everything. But if you're not looking and you're not out there paying attention to your plants, they'll get you. Now, uh, Catherine, you said you were talking earlier about a, a, a type of a cocktail. Oh, yeah. So if you already have plants, uh, you can mix either comfrey or aloe, some hot pepper with some water. If you want it to stick a little bit, you can use okra leaves, uh, make it a little slimy and just swish it around in a bucket, put it in a sprayer like Mr. John said, spray it around and your bug problem, your flying insect problem, let me put it that way, won't exist anymore. Um, and if you, you add soap, it'll take care of the mealy, mealy bugs, like the little white fuzzy ones. Lots of things you can do. I know one thing we we notice at the um, at the food is we we see these little yellow, the yellow ladybugs. Are you guys familiar with the yellow ladybugs? Is that something that we be concerned about? We see a lot of those. The inside out ladybug, where it's kind of brownish, tannish color. Yeah, is that what I said in yellow, but yeah, I <laughs> said it brownish, tannish. Is that is that a we need to be uh? I really, I believe that it's a environmental issue. Um, so you just want to check. You can plant plants. Um, what's a good one? Marigold, maybe. Marigold is a good one to keep them away. Also, basil. basil. basil yep, that's basil. the one I was thinking about. Basil is a good one. Oregano is a good one to keep those away too. Mm -hmm. But the more herbs you plant, you got to remember, you got to keep that diversity in your garden. So right. the more varieties of things that you have, the less likely it is for you to get those, the things that you don't want. Okay. 
All right. All right. All right. So I think we covered we covered just about everything. Um, those people that are living in apartments and spaces with limited yard space, uh, like a garden business. Um, what are some of what are some of your recommendations as you ready to close out? I know we talked a little bit about the, the bag, garden, the grow bags, grow bag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Talk about the grow bag just a little bit and, and what that. What's the benefits of that versus what you saw don't have? Well, grow bags are very popular and they're in the stores now, but you can make your own grow bag. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, some people are using um, shopping bags and or uh, pet food bags, uh, saving those and uh, putting their potting soil mixture inside the bag and growing in those. Um, so those those are movable you can place them wherever you want to and um they're they're small enough so that you don't have to be overwhelmed by the amount that you're growing and um you can they're easy to manage so grow bags are good for that for that reason okay grow bag okay any other techniques for small spaces i use the uh the uh the bins you go mm -hmm. get the uh, I found beans at um, Lowe's. I think me and my wife got like four of them. They were like four or five dollars a piece, just, just a little plastic tote tubs. Mm -hmm. uh, we took the top off those and actually what I did was was uh, stack them side by side and I put a piece of fence up and I ran all of my cucumbers up through that thing. So we actually grew cucumbers on a trellis, but uh, even if you had just one or two, if you lived in like an apartment and all you had was a balcony, you could take two of those bins and you now have two containers pretty much big enough to for a mobile garden that you could carry anywhere. So, um, you know, there's really just, there's nobody who can't grow something if you have access to sunlight. Right. My favorite cheap solution for um, small space gardening is the old school, throw it over your door, shoe holder. The one that has like 24 different yeah. things. Um, the first place I rented out, I just wanted to grow some food. I had no space to do anything, um, but I put one of those over the back door and just stuck some soil in them. I had herbs in the first two rows, lettuce in the second two rows, and then strawberries at the bottom row. So you can grow food anywhere. Right. It's really simple. And it was three dollars for that shoe container. That's neat. I really like that. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I hadn't even thought of, I hadn't even thought about that one. That was amazing. <laughs> well, we, we certainly enjoyed having this show and tonight and we enjoyed each and every one of you. We thank you so much for your expertise. Um, people like me who are just really uh, like late bloomers and really get, getting into uh, you know getting into farming, uh, we are uh, amazed by some of the things that you have given us tonight and continue to give us. Uh, we have uh, another show coming on, on farming. Most of everybody knows that we do a show um, we do a show like this once a month, and we will. Or most likely have you all, uh, each of you back again for our show in November. In November is a, a powerful month. And we talk about Thanksgiving, you know, things of that nature. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more uh, about uh, what we're going to do for Thanksgiving uh, at a later time. But thank you guys so much. And, and thank each and every one of you for being a part of this hour. Um, again, I uh, invite you one of you to follow us on our social media uh, network. Check us out on our website, uh, perspectiveon.org. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. I invite each and every one of you to be a part of our social media network. But we're always addressing social justice issues. Um, uh, food security is just one. Our, we will not have a show on next Next Thursday, but the following Thursday, 
will be our show that will uh, take place uh, after the upcoming presidential election. And we promise we we promise to have some some dynamic uh, uh, preachers of the gospel that will share their perspective from a, from from a faith perspective from the churches. The church will give it will give its its natural response to the presidential election on next week. And I'm not next week, but the following week, the Thursday after the presidential election. And I invite each and every one of you to come back and tune in on that Thursday, November the 5th at 6.30, where you'll definitely uh, hear the world's voice on the results. No matter who wins, it's definitely going to be uh, a show uh, that I invite all of you to tune in, share, ask questions, and be informed. And I thank each and every one of you for watching. A special thanks to Peace of Public Radio. And as we leave you, I leave you with those famous words uh, by the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, that whatever affects one directly affects us all indirectly. Thank you, and have a good night. Welcome to Perspectives On, where we're giving the world a voice. We are a faith-based social justice forum where individuals give their perspectives on various topics. It's an opportunity to express their viewpoint, their stance, and their angle on justice issues affecting the community and globally. Each episode features guests presenting their perspective on things like climate change, the church, urban farming, and food insecurity all through a unique faith lens. Come check us out. Give us your perspective.